This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. Hello, my name is Marielle Chang, and I am a fellow in the 2021 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship Program. Today, I am presenting a podcast that I have titled Starting to Remember the Real You. It is the distillation of a process that I'm actively going through right now, a process that is helping me understand myself better and will guide me towards a life that best aligns with the person I am today. If you are listening to this podcast, I think that the concepts described here can change your life for the better. 2020 was a year like no other. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit and lockdowns were mandated, we all had to stop in our tracks. People got sick, some really sick, and some died. People stopped going to the office or going out at all. Grocery stores were off limits except when absolutely necessary. We couldn't see our neighbors, let alone any loved ones who lived anywhere else. For me, the most difficult part of this was being unable to travel abroad to the country and the people I care about. The involuntary global pause caused by the pandemic gave us an unexpected gift, a sudden ton of free time on our hands and with absolutely nowhere to go. After the initial panic subsided, I accepted, begrudgingly, that I would be safe from the virus as long as I didn't leave the house, let alone the country. But it was the perfect opportunity for me to reevaluate myself and what I was doing with my life. A month before we had any idea that COVID was going to turn the planet upside down, I quit my day job. The publishing work that I had been doing for 12 years was no longer in alignment with what I wanted to do or who I was. That second part was the bigger problem. For years, I had identified with who I was in publishing. Now, I was acutely aware that that line of work was no longer fulfilling for me anymore. If what you identified with for such a long time is gone, where do you go from there? I asked myself this very question. This podcast is divided into three parts that will help you get started. In part one, I will talk about the general concept of recognizing and understanding the real you as separate from thoughts and beliefs you've picked up on your way through life. In part two, I will dig deeper into the concept of discovering the real you, who you are when you are being your authentic self by considering your personal values. In part three, I will round out this podcast with a discussion of finding and working with your passions, which connect back to your authenticity. Along the way, I'll provide some personal examples from my life and show you what I was able to illuminate for myself. The examples are intended to encourage you, the listener, to delve into your own life and help you uncover the real you. Let's get started. Part 1. I want you to imagine the newborn baby version of yourself as the smallest innermost doll of a Russian nesting doll. Of course, we don't have the intellectual means at that early time of life to know what kind of life experiences we will have, what we're going to become, or what our life purpose is. 
Humans have free will, but it will take some time and maturity before we can truly make our own decisions. As an infant human being, and thanks to biological evolution and Charles Darwin, I'm a biologist by training, so this kind of stuff makes me excited. You are made of solid stock of skin and bones, but you are breakable. As you grow into a child, become a teenager, and then an adult, you grow in size, strength, and knowledge. You take in what is around you and what you are exposed to. What you take in adds on to your body in layers, although invisible. Like the increasingly larger layers around the original smallest Russian nesting doll, your layers have a similar appearance, but they're all a little different. More time as an engaged citizen on this planet leads to more education, more relationships, and the gathering of more information. Over time, knowledge gained hopefully turns into wisdom, born of understanding of the things that have happened to you in your life and what they mean to you. Now, when I say, quote, what they mean to you, unquote, I'm not talking about on a superficial level, but that of a deeper knowing, emotional and character altering. But before we can get to that light bulb on aha moment, let's take a step back. We absorb a whole lot of ideas, beliefs, standards, anxieties, and stereotypes from our families, people we know, people we interact with, the media, and society in general. Let's put these things under the umbrella of, quote, outside influences, unquote. Not all of these are completely good or bad, just worth your consideration in this part of the conversation. When we were children, we saw standards and behaviors modeled for us by our parents, teachers, and other elders. We saw how our peers behaved in school and out of school. We were also influenced by what we saw happening in society. Things like world and local events, popular TV shows, commercials we watched, and books and magazines we read. Our internal world gets shaped by what we have seen and experienced and how we process all of that, whether the processing occurs mentally, emotionally, or usually a combination of both. This dynamic, specially shaped internal world affects how we think and behave as adults. Until we start examining where the thoughts and ideas in our head come from, then identify which are authentic to us and which are not, we may not be operating from a place of alignment. Taking the time to review and consider the layers that make up who you are today is an important task. And why is that? Because unless you are entirely self-aware, you are carrying thoughts and ideas in your body that aren't yours. Over the time that we grew up and became adults, we have absorbed a whole lot of these outside influences that don't actually align with who we are. Or perhaps better stated, within our body live a lot of things that are not who we feel we are at our core, our authentic self at this very moment. I want you to take a deep breath and pause to reflect on what I've just said. Remember, thoughts and ideas within you are not completely good or bad. They just are. You always have the free will to hold on to thoughts and ideas that feel right for you in the moment while discarding any that are harmful, no longer useful, outdated, or no longer ring true. A belief we held as children may be proven wrong or false when we grow up. Once we recognize this, we can shed the old belief, and shedding painful beliefs can be quite freeing. I want to share with you a personal example involving my mother. Growing up, she told me I was fat. Now, she didn't use those exact words, but that is how my young brain processed being told things like, you should lose a few pounds, or that's too tight on you, or you don't look good in that, or you need a bigger size, that's way too small. Rarely did I get a compliment for looking nice from either of my parents. In Chinese culture, there's immense pressure to be thin. Chinese society values the thin, dainty, feminine, and demure female form. 
Google the words Chinese pressure to be skinny and you'll get over 10 million results. In April, a famous actress and model posted on Chinese social media to her over 10 million followers about a 36-day diet she was on that caused her to lose almost 28 pounds. Diet included 12 days of fasting. Thankfully, she got blasted by many women for promotion of an unsafe diet plan. But I'm sure you can see the kind of damage an article like this would be on the confidence of young women already struggling with body image. I grew up with female relatives and friends who worried about what and how much they ate. They wore black because, yup, you guessed it, they thought black clothes made them look skinnier. I've never been comfortable wearing black and I only do so when I have to attend a funeral or do something professional. I would see the figures of skinny, flawless perfection in the Asian fashion magazines they read. Based on what I saw in the mirror, I concluded that something was seriously wrong with me and that I was ugly. Thinking about the skinny ideal, let alone trying to achieve it, was hell, and it caused me great anxiety. I had been diagnosed with lupus, an autoimmune disease, as a tween. Corticosteroid medication I took to control it caused me to gain weight, no matter what I ate. It's little wonder why, when I got into my 20s, I already had a complex about my weight and how I looked in the mirror. I started therapy when I was 26. My therapist said to me in one session, You're a very attractive woman. You do know that, don't you? That's the thing. I didn't. All I saw in the mirror were two words, fat and ugly. It took a lot of work in therapy for me to be able to consider the concept of weight objectively, then come to the conclusion myself that I was beautiful no matter what I weighed. I'm not going to lie. I still have days when I struggle with my weight, but I have been able to discard the damaging belief that I'd gotten from my mother that I was fat, and that's a major win for me. To summarize, when we are not self-aware, we hold on to thoughts and ideas that may not be ours and that do not align to who we are at our core. As an adult, once you figure out what isn't in alignment with you, it's freeing to leave that all behind while understanding and embodying what is. Part 2. Let's take a look at personal values and why where they come from matter. Spoiler alert, it does. When it comes to figuring out what parts of your life don't resonate with the real you deep inside, a good place to start is looking at your personal values. For us women, our perspective on many things is different from that of men because we have biological and societal challenges and expectations that men don't. As we matured from girls into women, we went through a different coming-of-age process than boys becoming men did. There's a different timber to the conversation our parents had with us about sex and unwanted pregnancy. Because, of course, if something goes awry, we're the ones with the baby growing in our body. There's also the continuing societal belief that as women, we should be the giver and the nurturer. The one still smiling at the end of the day after slaving in the kitchen, cleaning the house and doing the laundry, and raising the children. Then there are the questions that float around in every woman's head, all too often reinforced by lines of questioning from other people. And even when we have to fill out seemingly harmless forms at the doctor or at the DMV. Do you want to get married? And do you want to have children or not? This boils down to your internalized values when it comes to family. And for the purposes of this podcast, what your own values around family are versus those you may have inherited or absorbed from your own family and others. While I believe the era I grew up in, the late 90s, was a time of reasonable progressiveness, I still expected most of my peers to get married and have children, career or not. When it came to my Asian girlfriends, I expected a relationship and career pattern mirroring that 
of my own immigrant parents, finish school, get married, and then somehow magically juggle career and family successfully, which they seem to have done. It just wasn't the way things turned out for me. When I was in college, I had what I thought then was a strange, overly personal conversation with my undergraduate advisor. She also had lupus, so I knew her heart was in the right place when she was giving me advice on family and career. She told me, you're going to have to choose between having a family and being a biologist. You can't have both. She had chosen to have both and had suffered greatly while pregnant. Stress adversely affects illnesses in general, and in lupus, stress can increase disease activity, and so can the changes in hormones during pregnancy. Having suffered a lot having lupus in my teenage years, what my advisor had said made practical sense. I was hospitalized many times and underwent chemotherapy when my illness got out of control. While the other kids in my grade were living out normal teenage lives, I was sleeping a lot, taking my medication and doing everything I could to stop my illness from firing up again. What I didn't realize then was that I was going to hold on tight to what she said as if it was gospel. I internalized the difficult decision I made, and it became part of my identity and story for another 20 years. As much as I could throw myself into every single job I had, I always felt something was missing and I didn't know what that was. It was it wasn't until this year that I uncovered the pain that was buried deep inside. The pain of the terrible loss I felt not having a family of my own. I'm 41 now. It does make me sad that the barely legal version of myself thought that I had to choose between a family and a career and that there were no other options. The more important piece is that I have accepted that the pain that I've been carrying around came from a belief held by another person that I absorbed. Fear of becoming sick again and the limitations that I assumed were true for me didn't belong to me, so I was able to let them go. Let's recap. When starting the search for the real you, take a look at your personal values. Assess where they came from and how long you have held them. Then ask yourself if the values ring true to the person you are today. Part 3 your passions. Why are they so important to identify? Let's get into it. You know that saying, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life? The people who can manage to do what they love for a living are the happiest people in the world because what they do is so well aligned with who they are inside. The things in your life that bring you joy are important clues in finding the real you. When do you feel happiest? And what are you doing at that time? You need to be completely honest with yourself about the things you do in life and your motivation for doing them in the first place. When it comes to careers, so many people work for the paycheck and they stay because of the promise of job security and often the possibility of advancement. So many people in this country work hard and unconsciously so because of the ingrained societal value of the Protestant work ethic. Money is important, of course, and having more money than just enough to survive makes life a whole lot easier, I'll give you that. But is the fear of losing that security blocking you from trying something new that can make you so much happier? Or perhaps is the judgment you fear you'd receive from others if you left your job holding you back? Here's an example that combines the concept of personal values from part two and the importance of passions here in part three. When I was making a good living in publishing, I thought I was happy with my job because it afforded me the money and the means to be able to travel comfortably, enjoy myself when I could get the time off. When a friend who lived in Ireland died of cancer last year at age 53, his passing really shook me. 
Lyndon was a friend from my music journalism career that I had on the side from my publishing job. He traveled a lot more than I did, to more music conferences and events than I did, to promote his artists. He seemed tireless. Every time I saw him, wherever it was or how little sleep we were running on, the light and happiness in his eyes told me what he did for a living, which was running an independent music label out of Belfast, was his passion. Traveling is one of my passions, and it's evolved over the years. I have loved British bands since I was a kid, so I knew one day I was going to visit the UK. Little did I know that it was just the beginning. I did not expect from my solo travels an immense joy in meeting new people and making friends there and in other places as far away from America as Australia, getting to visit places I'd only ever heard of or read about. Without travel, I can't recreate having a near-religious experience when taking in the natural beauty of the western coast of Ireland. Nor can I eat barramundi in Sydney Harbour while the sun sets. And all these opportunities were on top of the music conference sessions, live music, and festivals that I have been blessed to experience. Lyndon's passing made me really ask myself, do I really want to spend 11 months of the year doing something I don't like, just so that I can have that one month abroad, the one time I really feel alive? For so long, I had been stuck in the mindset that as long as I was gainfully and securely employed, and also making a lot of money, I had nothing to fear when it came to my having lupus. Having a chronic illness makes you fearful of the unknown and of losing it all. Because I had such a rough time being sick when I was younger, I thought my uncertainty health status limited my career choices. Until the Affordable Care Act was enacted under President Obama in 2010, having a pre-existing condition meant I couldn't get health care unless I worked for a company that offered group health insurance. I can now fully understand and accept that for so many years, my personal values around money and access to health care were primary controllers of what careers I thought were possible for me. These values were snuffing out other possible opportunities that could bring me happiness. I know travel will always be one of my passions that brings me joy. Recognizing and validating its importance to who I am is key because now I know whatever I decide to do for work has to allow for more travel. It's non-negotiable. To review, evaluate what makes you happy and brings you the most joy in your life and where you're missing this joy. Knowing what lights you up inside will clue you into what's most important to you. It can also guide you to make changes in your life for the better. We've come to the end of starting to remember the real you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that I've given you the encouragement to look more closely at yourself, how you're living your life, and what changes are possible so that you can live the life that best aligns to the person you are right now. There's no one end goal to life. We are all beautiful works in progress, continually evolving and changing. You are a wonderful creation of purpose and free will, and you can live a happy, fulfilled life. I truly believe that. I want to thank Amelia Harubi for choosing me to participate in the 2021 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship Program. I have learned so much from being part of the fellowship, and I appreciate Amelia giving me the opportunity to create this podcast for 50 Feminist States. You can find this episode's show notes and links to help you begin your journey to authenticity at 50feministstates.com slash podcast or linked in the listening platform you're tuning into this podcast from. This has been Marielle Chang. Bye for now.
tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.